Hey everyone, welcome to Luke chapter 17. We're going to get started right away. Verses 1 and 2. He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus focused back on his disciples. Some people would be a stumbling block to others, meaning they would cause an unsaved person to think twice about coming to Christ or cause someone else to sin. A person like this might cause another to lose their opportunity for salvation or to offend God through a sin. For doing that, it would be better for them to be thrown into the ocean with a heavy weight tied around their neck. God is adamant about bringing people into his kingdom and in his hatred for sin. Those that hinder the way for another's salvation will be judged severely. The Pharisees were doing exactly this. They were making it harder for others to come to Christ for salvation. Sin cannot be eradicated in this life, but Christians should never be a hindrance to unbelievers from coming to God, nor cause believers to sin. Have you been a hindrance? Do you need to go ask for forgiveness to clear up a fault? Go, do it now. It is better to be judged by man than to be judged by God. Verses 3 and 4. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. If we are sinned against by another believer, we are not to wallow in anger, self-pity, or bitterness. We are to go to the offender and rebuke him, explain what he did wrong with love and gentleness. Our aim is never embarrassing or hurting the offender, but to lovingly bring them to repentance. Now, if our brother asks for forgiveness, we are to forgive them and continue the relationship. Even if he sins against us seven times a day, if he repents, we are to forgive him. Not that the seven here does not mean a literal seven. Rather, it conveys a sense of completeness. In other words, we are to completely forgive that person as often as forgiveness needs to happen. Have you been forgiving? Verses 5 and 6. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Forgiving our brothers for all their faults against us is no easy task. Based on this teaching, the apostles asked for more faith. Jesus replied that even if they had just the faith of a mustard seed, a very small seed, they could do amazing things, like uproot a mulberry tree, a tree with very deep roots, and transplant it into the sea. If faith could help them achieve something like that, they could easily forgive with just a little faith. Faith in Christ gives us the ability to forgive anyone. When we look at how much we were forgiven as sinners against God, it is not possible to hold a grudge. And if your offender is a believer, then you are upset with family, allowing you to forgive with more ease. Our act of obedience and forgiveness ultimately places our faith in God, trusting that He will deal with the consequences and the situation for His glory. Verses 7 through 10. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, 
Come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe himself, and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave, because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So, you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Our responsibility to God is humble service. A slave would not receive no special praise or privileges for doing his job. He was simply to do his job correctly at his master's order. In the same way, we are God's slaves, unworthy of the grace and mercy he grants us. We are called to be humble in all our acts before God. Now, humility does not mean you bash yourself all day and wear ragged clothes. It means you think of yourself less and recognize that you are a sinful, rebellious creature. If a slave is to be humble and faithful to his master, how much more should we be humble when not only are we unfaithful servants, but God gives us so many gifts like salvation, hope, Christ, Holy Spirit, and heaven, to only name just a few. Our faith is tied to our work as slaves of God. Even day-to-day tasks can and should be done for God's glory. Verses 11 to 14. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Still on his way to Jerusalem from Galilee, Jesus was met by a group of ten lepers. If you remember, leprosy is a disease where the sense of feeling is lost. In Jewish law, they were to be expelled from the city or village. In this group, there were Jews and Samaritans. Remember, Jews hated Samaritans because Jews considered them half-breeds. Now these ten called out to Jesus from a distance for mercy to be healed. He told them to show themselves before the priest, which was part of the process to being cleansed and accepted back into society. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Jesus healed from afar. Verses 15 to 19. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Of the ten men, only one returned to give thanks. He turned back, and told everyone how he had been healed and bowed at Jesus' feet. To add shame to the Jewish people, he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked where the, the others were, not because he did not know, but to make the point that only one of the ten were grateful for healing. It seems that the one grateful leper found spiritual salvation in Jesus, while the others remained with simple physical healing. Before we judge the nine too quickly, how often are we ungrateful? How often do we feel we are entitled to this or to that? It has been said, we are quick to pray, but slow to praise. We want what we want, but as soon as we get it, 
We forget that God exists. Will you be the one grateful leper? Verses 20 and 21. Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The Pharisees asked Jesus, possibly to trick him, when the kingdom of God was coming. They viewed the kingdom of God in a very physical sense, where God would rid the Jews of the Romans and the Jews would rule. This is not the actual kingdom of God. Jesus answered them that the kingdom of God was not coming with signs and great wonders. Jesus is the kingdom of God. At that moment, he was there with them, ushering in the new kingdom of grace. He was not brought in with a grand show, but came as a baby through a poor, humble family. His first coming was unassuming, but it ushered in the new kingdom. There will be a time soon when he will come as Lord of the universe to rule all and judge all. When he does return, there will be no warning. So we are called to be prepared at all times. Verses 22 to 25. And he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look there, look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus now spoke to his disciples and told them of this kingdom. Although Jesus was there now, there was coming a time when they would no longer see him, because he would no longer be with them. They were not to believe all the false statements of false Christs. Jesus would only be there on earth for a short time. His ministry with the disciples lasted only three years, and they were not going they were not to go looking for him. Rather, they were to be faithful servants in the work God had given them. When he returns, it will be like lightning that lights up the sky. All will know he has arrived. He also warned them that before he left, he would suffer and be rejected by the people of the Jewish and Gentile nations. Jesus said this to prepare them. The time was coming where he would suffer on the cross and die, but he would rise again. Verses 26 to 33. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out, and likewise the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Jesus gives two examples of when judgment came while people were not seeking God but sought their own pleasures the days of Noah and the flood, and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Neither group of people were prepared for judgment, so it took them by surprise. 
When Jesus comes again, there will be judgment for every person. The determining factor of whether we get into heaven or not is what did we do with Jesus, accept or reject? Sodom and Gomorrah and the people in Noah's time were distracted by the things of this world. We are called to place our eyes and desires on Jesus. Material things are not to cause us to stray like Lot's wife, who turned her eyes towards material things when she had specifically been commanded not to. Jesus is the most important person in the world. Our lives are called to be submitted before the greatness of his name. Verses 34 to 37. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken and the other one left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Can you see the suddenness of this passage? People will be taken away with no prior warning. It will come at one time all over the world. The context of this portion of scripture is judgment. We have a group that are taken away and another that were left behind. There are two ways to interpret this one. Either those taken away here were for judgment and those left behind were saved for those or those left behind were left for judgment and those that were taken were saved. Those that take the former approach, in other words, that the bad were taken for judgment, uh, usually connect this to a time towards the end of the tribulation, when God will take the remaining unbelievers to the great white throne judgment, while those who remain on earth will be part of the kingdom of God on earth. If you want to read more about that, that is in Revelation. Those that take the latter approach, that the good are taken and those that are left are left for judgment, uh, usually link this to the rapture, uh, where believers will be removed from the upcoming judgment of God on earth, the tribulation, and that's, again, seen in Revelation. In either case, there will be a permanent separation before, between the children and the enemies of God. If we keep within the context, we can compare it to previous stories of Noah and Lot. The saved were taken away while the judged stayed behind. Verse 37 has been translated in different ways. The vultures may signify the death and decay of a person's body. They may be symbolic of moral and spiritual corruption connected with these people. The vultures might tie in with the timeline that Jesus is speaking about. Right before the great white throne judgment, God's enemies, the unsaved, will amass together to fight against him. And when they lose, birds will eat the flesh of those that fall while attempting to fight Christ. And this is the battle of Armageddon that's mentioned in Revelation as well. In any case, judgment is not what we want for ourselves. But the question that is exceedingly important is, whose side are you on?